I invite you to open your Bible today to the book of Acts. We're going to begin a new series of messages called Empowered to Advance. And we're going to take several Sundays and look through a big portion of this year. We're going to be in the book of Acts together. And so I encourage you to uh, get your Bible. I encourage you to do a couple things. Read through Acts with me. And uh, there's 28 chapters. I just encourage you to read through it. And then ask God to speak to you. Ask some questions as you're reading through the Bible. How does this, what does this mean? And what did, why is this in the Bible? And what, why did Luke give us this information? And what does it teach me and say to me about how I ought to live my life? What does it teach me about Jesus? What is it teaching me about mankind? What is it teaching me about how I need to live my life? What does it say to me about the church and how we are to, to be living as a body of believers? And so ask yourself some of those questions and just watch how God opens your heart and your mind through his word. I, want God, I know that God wants to speak to us through his word, and so we'll read it together. And then on Sundays when we gather, I'm going to be preaching through this powerful book, that's, uh, uh, there's no other book like Luke's uh, uh, book of Acts because it gives us such great history that's not found anywhere else in the Scripture about the early church and its advancement. So we want to focus in on Empowered to Advance, and uh, I encourage you to look with me. Now, if you have your Bible, let's look to Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter 1 beginning with verse number one. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, At this time, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he'd said this, he was taken up as they were watching. And a crowd, a cloud received him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus whom has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you've seen him going into heaven. And they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olive Grove, or Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, 
a Sabbath day journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Amen. Father in heaven, speak to us today from your word. Father, may our hearts be open to hear. And Father, may we committed to be committed to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Acts is unlike any other book, really. It's the second volume from the pen of Luke. And Luke is a follower of the Lord Jesus. What do we know about Luke? Luke was a medical doctor. He was a native of Antioch. He was very close to the Apostle Paul. He accompanied him on missionary journeys. When we're reading through Acts, we'll find some we sections where he says, we did this and we did that and we went here and we, we witnessed this. And when he uses the word we, uh, Lucas included himself because he was with Paul on those missionary, some of those missionary journeys. The theme is found in chapter 1, verse number 8. And it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts covers about 33 years. Four different Roman emperors during this period. Tiberius, who ruled from 14 to 37. And then Caligula from 37 to 41. And then Claudius from 41 to 54. And then Nero from 54 to 68. So as we look at this, we notice some uh, things I, I want you to notice about Acts. First of all, it talks about the spread of the church. In Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to, I mean, chapters 1 to 7, it's about the church witnessing in Jerusalem. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me, about me, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So chapters 1 to 7 deal with witnessing in Jerusalem. Then chapters 8 to 12, the church witnessing in all Judea and Samaria. And then chapters 13 to 28, the church witnessing in all the earth. The gospel is proclaimed in the city primarily, Jerusalem and the surrounding area in first seven verses, seven chapters. And then and beginning with chapter 8, we see it proclaimed in provinces and beyond, and even in the, the revival in Samaria. And then chapter 13, it's proclaimed in all the world. The theme is the power and progress of the church in the first seven chapters, the expansion of the church in chapters 8 to 12, and Paul's three missionary journeys and his trials that he went through and... Uh, being sentenced and then appealing to Rome in, in uh, chapters 13 to 28. The people that are primarily addressed in the first seven chapters, it's Jewish people primarily. Then we see Samaritans in chapters 8 to 12, and then Gentiles, chapters 13 to 28. 
One of the key figures we'll notice in the first seven chapters, Peter is very central and key. And then Philip and Stephen in particular in chapters 8 to 12. And then we see Paul and, uh, in chapters 13 to 28. The time frame is about the first two years uh, uh, in chapters 1 to 7, then 11 years, chapters 8 to 12, and then about 15 years from chapters 13 to 28. And so you see triumph, transition from just being a Jewish-centered religion to Christianity transitioning beyond Judea and Jerusalem, and then the travels and trials as missionary journeys are taking place around the world. So I thought, I thought that chart might be helpful for us to look at sort of the movement and the sweep of the book of Acts together. Now today, I want us to focus in on this passage of Scripture that we read today and about the ministry of the resurrected Christ for all of us. First of all, next slide, please. The first thing is convincing proof. Notice that in this passage of Scripture, what Dr. Luke tells us, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, and notice Theophilus means lover of God. And in Luke chapter number, uh, in Luke chapter number one, Paul, uh, Luke also talks about dedicating this first this narrative to Theophilus. And we're not sure who this person was, but he was a lover of God. He, he's called most excellent Theophilus. He may have been a government official. He may have been a person of some wealth that maybe helped to fund the research involved in the writing of these two books. But we're not sure, but his name means one who loves God. And about all that Jesus began to do, and so this gives us some insight about the purpose of this book. He says, in the first narrative, I talked to you in the gospel about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so now he's saying, but now I want to tell you what he's continuing to do and to teach until he was taken up. And so he's saying the ministry of Christ continues. And so he, he says, after he'd been given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. And so <clears throat> he says, after he'd suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. So his whole purpose in writing is he's helping to understand how God was working. And he says, Understand this, in the first 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus appeared multiple times and he was convincing us of the truth of his resurrection from the dead. Over that 40-day period, he's convincing us that it's not just a pipe dream. Jesus Christ rose powerfully from the dead. And we're convinced of this. And we're preaching with absolute authority and clarity that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Amen? There should be no waffling in our voice when we speak about the truth of the death, 
burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen? Amen. And so, he, this is uh, what he's, and he says he's con, he, there's many convincing proofs. What are some of those? Well, ref, remembering with me, first of all, you remember what happened. They took our Savior and they crucified him on the cross. Notice that Sabbath day was coming for the Jews in the evening. And so what did they do, our Savior? They came and they were going to break the legs of all of those hanging on the cross. But they came to our Savior and he was already dead. He died, I believe, of a broken heart on the cross for all of us. They did not break his legs, but they took him off of the cross and hurriedly they tried to anoint him, wrap his dead body, and they laid him in a borrowed tomb a tomb that no man had ever laid in before, that never buried anyone in that tomb before. They rolled a big rock in front of the tomb, and it was sealed by the Romans and guarded. The Jews, obeying the law, stayed away from the tomb and didn't do work on the Sabbath. They waited till the Sabbath was over. So early on Sunday morning, the women had prepared spices, and they went out to anoint the body more properly and uh, take care of the dead body of Christ. They went looking for a dead body, but they encountered an empty tomb. You know the story. And they saw the tomb was rolled away and angels, and they heard the message, why seek ye the living? Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. And go and tell his disciples. And, and, and so this, there was these, the women were hurrying to go tell the disciples they'd seen angels. And the tomb was empty. And the news is that Christ is risen from the dead. But he appeared to some of the women, and Mary in particular, and others. And they held to his feet, and and they saw him personally. And they had a living encounter with the living Christ. He appeared to Mary and other women, and they worshipped him. They went and told the disciples. The Bible tells us he had a private meeting with Peter himself, one-on-one. And then, later that day, two were on the road to a little village named Emmaus. You remember the story. And how he attached himself to them. And they were carrying on a conversation. And he asked them, what are you talking about? And they said, are you the only one in this area that doesn't know about Jesus? And they talked to him about Jesus. And we had hoped that he was Messiah. And then he stayed with them longer. And as he broke bread with them, their minds were open to the truth and they saw him, the resurrected Christ. They hurried to Jerusalem where the leaven were gathered. And when they arrived, they said, we've seen the Lord. They said, we've seen the Lord too. And he's appeared to Peter. And they were, they, were, they were rejoicing together. And notice, this is one of those convincing proofs. Verse 36, as they were saying these things, he himself, that's emphatic, he himself Jesus stood among them, and he said to them, Peace to be to you, shalom. But they were startled and terrified, and they thought they were seeing a ghost. You can just imagine that, can't you? And notice, notice the next slides. And they say, he said, Why are you troubled? He asked them. And why are doubts arise in your heart? Now look at the next. Look at my hands. He said, look at my hands. Why do you think Jesus said that? Would you look at my hands? Why do you think he said that? Because it was a real body. There was still the holes and scars from where they nailed him. Look at my hands. 
Look at my what? Feet. It's me. The one you saw on the cross, it's me. And I am alive. (laughs) Convincing proof. He said, touch me and see. Scott, you can't touch a ghost. Touch me. It's flesh and blood, isn't it? It's a real hand. He said, touch me. See. And then he says, a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And then he said that he showed him his hands and the feet, and they were amazed. And did you know we're sometimes really stupid? We just don't believe what we see. And they're unbelieving because of joy. It's, it's too good to be true. And he asked him, do you have anything here to eat? Because ghosts don't eat. And what do they have? Broiled fish for breakfast. So catfish nuggets, and he had some of those. And he ate it in their presence. What's he saying? I am real. I've risen from the dead. These are convincing proofs. Then he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be, profa- pr- must be fulfilled. What he's saying is, not only is it physically true, it's scripturally true. Because if you understood the scripture, you would understand it was necessary for me to die and rise again. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what the Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you're empowered from on high. Amen. In John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 19. In the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together because the doors were locked because of fear of the Jews. So they're behind closed doors, the same meeting, and they're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid that they're going to turn on them. And Jesus came and stood among them. And he says, peace to you, shalom. And he showed him his hands and his side, and the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So everybody's believing, right? Except somebody's missing. But one of the twelve, Thomas, called the twin Didymus, he was not with them when Jesus came, so the other disciples kept telling them, Tom, we've seen the Lord. What's Tom say? He said, I don't, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hand and put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. Do you think the Lord hears stuff that we say so foolishly? So the Lord knows about this. And one week later, eight days, his disciples are indoors again And Thomas was with them, even though the doors were locked. And Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, Shalom, 
peace be to you again. And he said, Thomas, tomboy, come here. And he said, put here your finger and observe, see my hands. Reach out your hand, Tom. Come on. No, no. Let me have your hand. Come on. Right here. And I want you to see my side. Don't be an unbeliever, but be a believer. (laughs) Do you think that's kind of getting called on the carpet right in front of everybody? And how's Thomas respond? My Lord and my God, you are God in the flesh. And Jesus said, because you've seen me, you've believed. Those who believe without seeing me are blessed, Tom. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. Verse 30. These are convincing proofs. Jesus is convincing them that he indeed is risen from the dead. Jesus wants his disciples to know without a shadow of a doubt that he is raised from the dead. And they they understood after 40 days of multiple experiences what great news we have. Death is defeated. Sins are paid for. Our Savior is risen again. And he is alive. This is the greatest news in all the world. He rules and he reigns. And he spoke to them about the kingdom, about his rulership, his reign as God, his reign in their hearts, his reign from heaven, and his reign on the earth. Amen. Well, there's a football game today. Anybody know about it? I'm so over the NFL, but there is a football game. And some of our Patriot fans can't wait for another championship. Maybe. At the end of that game, somebody will be crowned as the National Football League World champions and there'll be confetti and celebration and whatever city they go back to they'll call off work they'll fill the streets and they'll parade and party that their team is a champion right wow can i tell you something that much more significant than that What Jesus was doing in this 40 days is he was proving to them that he is Lord and Messiah. He is the champion of life. He holds death and life in his hands. And he rules and he reigns until he comes again. Woo! Hallelujah. That. And he does it with these convincing proofs so that the church might know that the message they preach is not a pipe dream, but it's the truth. Amen. It's based in reality. Not only the convincing proofs, the second thing we notice in this passage is the Father's promise. Verse 4 and 5, 
While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This is a promise from the Father. This is what you've heard from me. And notice, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He says there's going to be an outpouring, a baptism, an abundance of poured out, poured out on you of God's Spirit upon you. You've been baptized with water, but now you will be baptized by God's Spirit in your life. An outpouring of a Spirit. This fulfills what was spoken of in the prophet Joel. Chapter 2, verse 28. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Joel prophesied in the 9th century B.C. And he saw in this prophecy, I will pour out my Spirit on all humanity. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Men and women both will preach the gospel. Men and women both will tell the truth of God's word and proclaim the gospel and prophesy. Old men, old men usually don't have forward dreams, but old men will dream great dreams. And young men, they'll see visions. Usually it's older ones that have visions, but no, it's the Young men will have visions because the Spirit of God will be so present among them. And I will even pour out my Spirit on male and female slaves in those days. He says, God is just going to do a work among all people. Men and women, slave and free, He's going to pour out His Spirit in a powerful way. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 11 John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance. So when they came to John, who was out near the Jordan, folks from Judea and Jerusalem and the whole Jordan vicinity, those who've been with me to Israel, we've been to that region where John baptized. But he said, but the one who's coming after me is more powerful than I am. And I'm not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize. He, by himself, emphatic, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What does he mean by that? He says he's going to pour out his Spirit on you and his fire, his cleansing, his judgment in your life, the removal of things in, his li- in your life. He's going to do this powerfully. Wow. Notice similar passage. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sin, John the Baptist. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem flocking to hear him. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. And John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist. He was a dapper dude. He ate locusts and wild honey. They got a lot of stuff at the Golden Corral, but I hadn't seen that. Next verse. Uh, back up one, please. I'm sorry. 
and he was preaching, someone more powerful than I will come after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. Next verse. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Who is this? This is Jesus. He's the baptizer. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and the Father will give you another counselor. The word's paraclete. It's another word for the Holy Spirit. To be with you forever. One who comes alongside you, aids you, helps you. He'll be with you. He's the spirit of truth. The world's unable to receive him because he doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him. And because he remains with you and will be in you. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. Verse 26. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him How? In my name. And he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. And notice Acts chapter 2, verse 32. At the day of Pentecost, Peter's preaching. God has resurrected this Jesus. We're all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he's been exalted to the right hand of the God, he has received from the Father, what? The promise, Holy Spirit, and he, Jesus, has poured out what you see and hear. This is the work of the resurrected Christ, sending the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, upon this infant church. And he says, this Spirit will empower you. Now, here's some things not in the notes But this is what the promised Holy Spirit does for us. He transforms your life, number one. Secondly, he comforts you. Thirdly, he strengthens you. Fourthly, he reminds you of what Jesus said. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Fifthly, he will guide you, direct you in your life. Sixth, he empowers you with power and strength. Seventh, he gives you authority as you speak and as you live. Number eight, He convicts you of sin and righteousness. He teaches you. That's what he does. And he gifts you. He gives you gifts, the function in the body of Christ. Amen. This is what the Lord has done for us. The Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, the Father's promise. And next, I want you to look at the Holy Spirit's power. Verse number eight. When the Spirit has come upon you, You will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Quickly, what is the source of that power? The Holy Spirit. What is the purpose of the power that you'll be witnesses? And who receives this power? All believers. All of them. Notice in verse number 8, he says, but you, all of you, will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit has come upon you, all of you, you all will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Can I say something? Listen close. You don't have to have special gifts to be a witness. Be a witness. Some people say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. And we use this as an excuse 
not to tell people about Jesus? Can I tell you something? That's just an excuse. If you're a born-again believer, the Spirit of Christ lives in you, and He gives you the power to be a witness for Him. All of us. And none of us are off the hook in this. Amen? So we are all called and empowered to be witnesses. Amen. Now, I want you to look at verse number 9 with me. This doesn't fit in your notes, but I can't ignore this verse, these, these verses of Scripture. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by him. Who were these two men in white clothes? Angels, that's right. So this is the ministry of angels. And so they're watching, a cloud receives him, and then they're gazing into heaven. And then these angels speak to him. Do you all believe that angels were there? I do. You see, angels were there at the announcement of the birth of Jesus. Angels were there and attended Jesus in his temptation in the wilderness. Angels were there that protected Jesus on the earth. Angels ministered to him in Gethsemane. Angels were at his command at Calvary. Angels were at the tomb on resurrection morning. And angels are at his ascension. And when Jesus comes again, there will be myriads and myriads of angels that come with him. Why is he ascended? Why is the ascension so important? If Jesus Christ did not ascend into heaven as some liberal scholars say, then he's still on the earth. Or dead. He ascended into heaven to mark a new era. He would not be appearing to them as he had in the past 40 days. His relationship with them would be more spiritual and not so physical. But it was a symbol of his exaltation. It was a symbol that the resurrected Lord is, as, is ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father in authority. And he's seated beside the Father until his enemies be made his footstool. But he is coming again. Amen. But it also is a picture of Jesus in his new role. As our heavenly high priest, making intercession for all of us. I've been reading through Genesis, through uh, the Old Testament, and um, in the book of Exodus, I, you know, you get into all the detail in Exodus, and sometimes you can just kind of get bogged down, right? Am I the only one that feels that way sometimes? And you know, you're reading through Exodus, and you're going, whoa. How many, how, how long the, the, the curtains are and the fabric and how you're making it. And you're going, oh, okay. But, you know, but there's certain details that just jump out at you. And the garments for the priest and Aaron and his family, they are going to be priests. And they are set aside and they have to be consecrated. And they make for them linen garments that they're to wear that are clean and and then they're to wear robes that are specially made of of gold and and fabric and purple and 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 blue and 
and, 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 and then they're trimmed with gold trim. And, and so then there's a sash and, and then there's a, at the, uh, an ephod that they wear over and it's kind of like an apron and it's attached at the, soldier, at, at the shoulders with a gemstone on each shoulder. And they are to hire a jeweler, Paulette, to put on the gemstone the names of the tribes of Israel. And he's to put part of the tribes on one shoulder and the remainder of the tribes on the other shoulder. And so he bears the the names of the tribes of Israel on his shoulders. And he's not only to have an ephod, but a breastplate. It's about nine inches by nine inches. It's it's over here. It's double folded so it can hold the Urim and the Thurim. And, and so, but on it are gemstones in rows. And each gemstone is precious and valuable. And those 12 gemstones, a name is printed on them of the tribes of Israel. So that when he enters into the holy place, he has the nation, God's chosen people, on his shoulders and over his heart. And they're to consecrate him. And they kill an animal and they anoint and they make a sacrifice and he's sprinkled with blood and he's anointed with oil. A symbol of God's spirit is upon him. And he humbly makes sacrifices for his own sins. But he goes into, on the day of atonement, into the holy of holies before the ark of the covenant in the most holy place. And there, covering the ark of the covenant This box is a hammered out, beautifully decorated gold covering called the mercy seat. And there are angels that are with their wings extended, touching each other on the box nearly. And it's called the mercy seat. It's the place of atonement where God dwells. And it's a picture. And with reverence, The priest walks in humbly and he prays for the nation and he prays and he represents, he represents God's elect. And he has a turban that is made on his head. And on that turban is a plate that says, holy to the Lord. This was the Old Testament priest. But I want to tell you, listen to me. We've got a new high priest. And he is the real high priest. And he has ascended into heaven for us. And he doesn't take the blood of bulls and goats. He took his own precious blood that he shed on the cross. And he stands before the Father. And he brings before the Father his elect, his chosen one. Your name is on his shoulders. And your name is on his heart. And he speaks to the Father about you. That is awesome. Isn't that awesome? Wow. I got goosebumps on my goosebumps. Thinking about that. That my God stands before the Father. For me and for you. Wow. This is the ministry of the resurrected Christ. He intercedes for 
us. Romans 8 tells us. Amen. The church's priority, real quick, they returned from Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives called, uh, from the Mount called Mount of Olives, near Jerusalem, about 2,000 feet away, a Sabbath day journey. And when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. And Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. And these were continually united in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. What was the priority? First of all, they were praising God every day. They worshipped him. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy, continued in the temple complex praising God. Secondly, they not only praised God, they prayed to God. And they were unified. They never ceased praying. And they were united together in prayer. What do you think they prayed for? I think when they prayed, they prayed for Christ's return. I think when they prayed that they would live a holy life. I think when they prayed, they prayed that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon them. I think when they prayed, they prayed for lost family members and friends and business associates and people that they knew. And they prayed to God and they were together and united. And they were believing God. And they were saying, God in heaven, you've given us this great witness. Use us. God, may we bring honor and glory to your name. They prayed. They were together. They didn't fight. They weren't sideways with each other. They didn't get hijacked by petty things. They stayed purposeful and intentional. In prayer and praise, they were united in what God had called them to do. God in heaven, do that in our church and in my life. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word. It's so powerful and true. Oh, Father... If there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ today, I pray that they might give their heart and life to him and be saved. If there's someone here that's wandered away, I pray that today they'd come home. If there's somebody here that they've become filled with unbelief, I pray that, Father, that your spirit would convince them of the truth. Lord, we come to you now. We ask you to have your way in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, please.